Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Oh, we're in the midst of World Series week. It is November. Yes, we right. play baseball in November sometimes. Every now and then. And we Derek Jeter. Bring- Mr. November. Right, Mr. November. First. <laughs> it's just weird as hell. <laughs> I, I, also, let's not get into I that because I don't like it, but, but you know, let's leave November to football, but it, it happens. Yes. It happens. Yeah. There's, there are very easy ways to figure this out, but then, you know, people might be a little pissed if, you know, we say cut the amount of games you have in a regular season, but I wouldn't uh, be. Uh, my, Most my players pitch, wouldn't be. I didn't think I'm going here, but my quick pitch is right. You shorten the games, not by a ton, but we go from 162 to let's say it's in the 154 range. Yeah, go Maybe back to 154. the double header here or there so yeah. that you can end your season earlier. And I'm cool with making adding. the postseason a drop longer, not with adding teams to the playoffs, but no, no, no. So the no, division series games. could be best out of seven. So you kind of make up the revenue there. Um, 100%. You go the two out of three is sexy. And then you go yep. into a, a, a four to seven, four to seven. Think about it. Hockey. I mean, all these best of sevens are dramatic when you yes. get into the NHL hockey season. And, and basketball, dramatic. The back and forth, the home field. You know, I, I would love that. Is it going to happen? Nobody ever says I the DS, so. the division series, is too long. I, I've, I've never heard that. Good point. I've never heard someone. I, but I have often felt like I'm, I'm covering a division series or watching it. And I'm like, ah, I wish there were. You know, I like Dodgers Padres. I wish there were a couple more games out of a couple that. more games, right? Because it's, yeah. it's just getting heated up and by game four and five, right? And then it's done. So anyway, we're solving the world and we're also <laughs> well, that's what we're here at. Right? We're here to solve here world world problems yes. at baseball legends lounge, aren't we? And they also have cool guests, which is Johnny Gomes, super cool world series experience, doing a lot post playing career which we're always a big fan of and is a big part of what we talk about here so welcome in johnny Thirteen year big leaguer, two World Series rings, was a big part of that twenty thirteen Boston team that won it all. That included a three run homer he bashed in the twenty thirteen World Series for Boston. He's still going too. He's playing some ball with the Savannah <laughs> Bananas this past year, part of MLB's home run derby X. So he's still playing too in a different way. And he's doing a million other things. Johnny Gomes joins the party. What's up, Johnny? How's life? Quite busy, it looks like. Yeah, you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, my last time on the MLB field was 2015. That was uh, finishing the season with a victory with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, took a little tour over to Japan, played some ball over there 2016. Um, that was really cool, man. Going over there, obviously, I had a uniform and was playing, but it was more of uh, expanding my baseball IQ and baseball. What goes on over there? Uh, let's get in the nitty and gritty. Um, individually, you know, the players that come over here don't really do that well. Right. But I mean, there are some outstanding, you know, players, but then you go to the WBC, it's, you know, one, two or three, some of the best baseball in the world. Um, went over there, uh, knocked some stuff out, uh, learned a lot, uh, brought some baseball MLB stuff over there and brought some stuff back. And then, uh, kind of took a while to get up and running, you know, the retirement life was cool for about six months. And I was like, yeah, it's saying it got to keep moving. So yeah, I, I have been busy. I'd say the past, you know, this year I've, I've logged some miles. 
That's pretty exciting, man. And you, and you did, when you say lots of miles, Johnny, you know, uh, your career took you to a lot of different, you know, cities in the major leagues and obviously culminating with that, that Rockton Golden Eagles over there in Sendai. Um, but take us back before that, you know, a little bit of Johnny Gomes, you know, Cali Johnny Gomes in the early years and what, uh, what life was like and how you migrated to, to get to the point of, of, you know, joining the Rays and in, in their, uh, uh, organization. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a long way back now, but you know, I, I think my story, you know, is different than a lot of others. Um, actually when I found out I got drafted, I was, probably I'd say four to five weeks away from enrolling into the service, enrolling into the Marines. Mm. Um, wasn't really expected to get drafted by any means. Um, I, I really, I didn't have a college scholarship anywhere, um, let alone a partial or, and I was okay with that. I was like, you know, baseball is hard. I gave it my all. It's a results driven industry. The results just weren't there. Um, not the only one to have to close the chapter, you know, of baseball in my life and enrolled into the service and was negotiating there. Um, out of the blue, had a tryout with the Tampa Bay Rays at the time or Tampa Bay Devil Rays, if you will. And, um, you know, I played baseball all my life, but the, the one workout that I had was probably the best day of baseball that I ever played. Ran my fastest 60, was launching balls over the fence. I remember throwing from the outfield going like, what is happening right now? This isn't my arm. Um, and then, yeah, you know, uh, 2001 accepted the offer and found myself in Princeton, West Virginia. And, you know, he talked about getting drafted in 2001 and made my debut in 2003 at Yankee stadium when I was negotiating to go into the service. I mean, you talk about two totally different paths, but it worked out. Which is crazy because if you think back, for example, Johnny, was it so razor close that if you don't perform, like you just said, to your highest ability in that tryout, are you just not playing Major League Baseball? Is it that simple when you go back? Like, do you think there would have been another chance after that? I don't think so. And it was, it was a unique wow. uh, day for me that I was sitting here trying out for a professional team when I didn't have a D1, D2, D3, and I uh, school scholarship. Uh, I, you know, when I got the call to actually go to the workout, I thought it was a prank from my buddies. Um, but you know, at, at the time, you know, I, I was, you know, pretty fit. I could run there. There was a lot of like upside, like we talked about, there's a lot of upside, but stats weren't there. I was sitting at a junior college in Northern California where a lot of guys don't come out of. Um, I, I guess I tried to perform like this was my last day of baseball and um, yeah, man, it, it, it all moons aligned that one day. How the heck did the Rays find you? <laughs> yeah, kicking over some rocks, right? Up in Northern California. <laughs> That's the Rays. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was it. If you talk about Jim Morris and all these uh, crazy <laughs> picks and, uh, re, you know, you know, you're one of the retread. You're a young kid. So, I mean, but how, how talented, you know, it, it, the, they're, they're scouting and they're kind of turning over rocks and, and, uh, you know, finding a diamond in, in the rough have the Rays been over, shoot, 20 years. You know, you, you think about just currently, but this has been going on for quite a while. This organization has been pretty kooky when it comes to finding raw talent. And you definitely were one of them. Yeah. I mean, when I, you know, obviously I went to, you know, Princeton, West Virginia, which would be rookie ball. And then I went to Instructs. And my gosh, was that I've blown away at Instructs, right? I'm sharing the outfield with Josh Hamilton, 
with Rocco Baldelli, with Carl Crawford, and then mm. comes BJ Melvin Upton and Delman Young. Um, and I was like, this is the minor leagues? Like there's quite a few levels higher than this. I don't, I don't know about all this, but yeah, I mean, from, from day one, you know, Tampa Bay Rays, Tampa Bay Devil Rays, they, they player development, you know, it's pretty important over there. Hey, let me ask you. So, you know, and then in, in 2002, before you get your big, you know, break, you know, you have this setback and, and a scary one, uh, you know, around Christmas time with, with this mild heart attack thing. I mean, I, I, you you were dude you were always in great shape looking in fact you you studied you know working out you became a personal trainer before you even got to the big league so uh talk a little bit about that what kind of scare that was yeah that was a scare i mean imagine uh you know lame's man term you know it's called the widow maker um doesn't happen very often if ever you know you're you're in the one percent of you know sub 50 that it happens to but you know it's called the widow maker and you know you got your three arteries and you know 90 percent of those heart attacks are like clogged arteries from cholesterol or anything this uh to keep it simple your heart you know is a muscle and you get a cramp and it just locked up just out of the blue you see a lot of these stories with football players and basketball players and soccer players collapsing um i guess i was one of those but you know fortunate enough i was able to power my way through it uh and interest you know you stay in the stay in the hospital for eight days and leaving the hospital with no change in your lifestyle it wasn't like i was eating bad you know there was no narcotics by any means in my system i was in great shape um and i think the reason i was in great shape was why the reason i was able to you know make it out of there but yeah from uh you know being in a hospital bed for eight days at 21 years old isn't ideal but um, just puts everything into perspective. And, you know, I find myself about 15 to 18 months later in the big leagues. Was it one of those moments where you suddenly wake up and you're in the hospital? Like, and then they're telling you, hey, you're 20 something years old and you had a heart attack and you're like, what the? Yeah, uh, I actually fell out at home. Um, you know how the story goes, you know, when you're like watching a movie on your recliner or something and you kind of go down like this and you snap back and you realize you're asleep. But it was like four o'clock in the afternoon and I sure wasn't ready to go to sleep at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, knew something was up, this and that. I was having chest pains, went to the hospital. And, you know, when I went to the hospital, I'd say within 45 minutes, I had four IVs over here. I had the EKG locked up. I had the defibrillator ready to ready to zap me if anything happened. And, you know, it, life sped up real quick on that day. You could say that on uh, Christmas Eve is when it was. I was like, man, I'm not trying to be the Grinch. I got to get out of here. But um, <laughs> it was it, it was hairy there for a minute. But lucky enough, I can smile at it and put, you know, a lot of little, little life things into perspective from going through that. It seems like uh, you would appreciate get you know getting to the major leagues more than most you know what i mean this wasn't your typical you know follow the yellow brick road uh way to the major leagues it was it was a lot of uh pits and falls in fact you know you were headed to to, to the military so uh once you make that trek or maybe even looking back now on it though we want to talk a little bit about the the, the meat of it because you had quite you know impressive times and, and moments and career what uh, what what do you look at and and, and uh, don't take for granted? I guess I appreciate Johnny. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the story is you know out there you know too much, but I think once understanding the story of like I was weeks away from going to the military, I suffered a heart attack, I was in a fatality car accident, you know, I was sixteen years old, 
I think that kind of sums up like how I played, right? I mean, if you didn't know, you're like, this guy's just running around with his hair on fire and just looks like a caveman at the plate. And, you know, it's kind of like exhausting. It's almost like he's playing every inning, every game, like it's his last. And I was, right? I mean, it, I as cliche as it sounds, I mean, I was just so fortunate to be there health-wise, financially-wise, and everything. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to play a while. And I, you know, can honestly say I played every game, every inning, every swing, like it was my last. How do you get your brain there, Johnny? And not to get to that point, but to get to the consistency, because it's just so tough to have that same mindset every single day. And few really can pull it off. Forget just baseball and sports, just anything in life, any industry, any profession, even if it's the dream for someone, they work their ass off and their whole life to get there. Still hard to be all out every second and appreciate it. How do you get there? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I try as hard as I can to like teach it, but there are these certain things that you have to go through outside the lines that makes you play the way you do. Um, I was always so jealous of the superstars that just knew they could hung, hang a 0 for 4 and 0 for 8 and 0 for 12, and they're going to get tomorrow um, or they're going to get the next week. They're going to walk to the yard and don't look at the lineup because they know they're hitting third that day. And if they're not hitting third, they're hitting fourth or it's a scheduled day off. Uh, I don't know if the pink slip's going to be in my locker. I don't know this or that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't change it, man. I wouldn't change it. Uh, you know, I knew I needed my whole team, right? I knew really early that winning was going to separate me. I knew that I wasn't going to be the all-star. I knew I wasn't going to get all the awards. But if I could just find a way to get into the playoffs every single year, I knew that would be my separation. Now, I obviously couldn't do it by myself, nor anyone can. But, um, you know, we shocked the world in 08 with Tampa and we won the division in 2010 with Cincinnati. And here comes the Oakland A's 2012 season. I think is, you know, one of the craziest stories ever being in first place for four innings of the whole season. And then finally making it to the World Series uh, with the Red Sox and then backing it with Kansas City. Um, I know I can hang my hat on that. And one thing that the baseball has is anniversaries. And the only anniversary yeah. in baseball is winning. Those are the pennants in the outfield. So there's six different stadiums I can roll and be like that, that pennant right there. I was a part of that one. You know, and, and it's interesting because I talk a lot, you know, in broadcasts and, and, and when I break down, you know, post games or whatever about, or pregames for that matter, um, you know, heightened awareness of players. And, and I, and I kind of, I, think I mostly learned it in my almost, you know, uh, six years of playing in Japan in two different stints and, and some of what I learned from over there as far as their Zen mentality and focus um, when you spend a good amount of time over there. But it's really honing in. And you were talking about, you know, because you weren't always playing every day, but you were always ready. And then you get into the postseason, all of a sudden, you know, you're in the line of like crazy because I think they, they knew that you had that heightened awareness um maybe talk and expound on that a little bit because not every player has it you know it just seems like they can't get that tunnel vision at the right time yeah it's tough man I mean th there's a lot that can be learned with adversity and there's a lot that we learn you know with your back against the wall and there's a lot that can be learned with like I was fortunate to have which not a lot did and that's moving around right at mm. times you know it's unfortunate uh, you know, after game 162 or you finish, you know, pack your locker up because you're going to be somewhere else. Uh, playing for six organizations in just 12 years um, from 2009 all the way to when I finished in 16. Those were all my moves. 
But with that being said, I got to play in the youngest organization, Tampa, and then moved to the oldest organization and then went to the West Coast with the Oakland A's. And then right after that, you know, you go to the Boston Red Sox. You talk about this. You talk about small ball, American League, National League. It's not really a big deal now with the DH, you know, on both sides, but just learning the game more in the National League, um, having a taste from Lou Pinella, Joe Madden, Dusty Baker, Davey Johnson, Bob Melvin, John Farrell, Ned Yost, and then, you know, can go to all the GMs of those, or, of those organizations. Having a huge piece of the pie from so much of baseball just all thrown in. You can even throw my Arizona Fall League in there. You can throw my Caribbean World Series down in Mexico and then Japan. Um, there was a lot going on and, you know, looking back on it, it was tough bouncing around this and that, a couple of trades. But, man, getting a piece of the pie from so many different avenues um, is really what, you know, made me the player I am. We're going to take you on a transition eventually here into what you're doing now. But I think one of the bridges to get there is when you're playing, are you thinking about anything post playing career or because you were just, you know, Johnny, I'm gunning for it every night. I can't think about that. And I will say, no matter what your answer is, even if you weren't thinking about that, what you did as a player in terms of giving your time, being available, not just being Mr. Cliche, like, you know, some guys are, all of those things led to what you're doing now and being an actual personality and someone people want to be around post playing career. So anyway, did you think about that stuff? So to, to be completely honest, I didn't. And, you know, I'm totally jealous of guys my age in my era that just leave the game and go right into their business or go right into what they were building during their playing career. Like baseball is all I knew. Baseball is all I know. And I've tried to go into some different avenues, you know, with just my experience and team building and, you know, using my experience with baseball and how it work over here. And at the end of the day, I get, I mean, just, I'm a baseball rat, right? It's either in between the lines or just right outside the lines. Um, I've gone into the youth, um, you know, I've, I've mailed it all in for just baseball as a other player development or where I am now is um, it's all I'm cut out for. Hey, before we get into to the post and you're doing, you know, some cool things right now, uh, you, it seems like you finally have found certain, you know, avenues. I want to go back just to hitting, you know, uh, as a former, you know, hitter myself, um, I loved your swing. It was a very compact swing. It had that, that Bob Horner esque kind of feature to it. If, if those that remember Horner from yesteryear, um, and, and is that something you always had? And, and it was, there somebody that, that, you know, that helped you, uh, by the way, just recently, and you'll like this. So I just, a couple of few, like a week ago, I talked to a guy that you probably uh, admired a lot and helped you a lot by the name of Steve Henderson, Hindu, who was an incredible hitting coach and, and one of your hitting coaches. Uh, and, and your swing reminds me of his. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that Johnny Gomes swing. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was extremely tight, flat out like that. I mean, yoga was not for me, Pilates not for me. I was just a really tight guy. And that actually goes back to the – car accident fatality, fatality car accident i was in and it just really wound me up um with that being said that's where the compact really does come from and i knew what i wanted to do at the plate was always maximize my biggest and best strength and for that as simple as it was was probably power you know i was gonna be a power guy so as where everything is now with this and that, you know, what did you try and do and all this stuff? And it's simple as I tried to change the score. 
that was my approach from 00 all the way to 32. And I'm in the data world now. I know there's a lot of this and a lot of that. And I think it's all important. And if it didn't work, it would be gone and it's not gone. But there's something as simple as whoever touches home plate more is going to win. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I love the dudes that would get on in front of me. I love the dudes that would see a lot of pitches in front of me. And I loved everything else that was happening. But when Johnny Gomes got into the plate, he was trying to change the score. Now, you think you go right into the home runs, right? But, I mean, you got a runner on third, less than two. It's different. You got a runner on second, you know, with two outs. Um, you know, a single is going to get it done. You got a runner on first two outs, one out. We got to stay at the double play. There's a lot of different ways of changing the score outside of a home run. But at the end of the day, that's what I was trying to do was change the damn score. And that situation would change at times, but that's what I could bring to the plate every single time, whether I was 0 for 16 going to the plate, I was never losing sight of changing the score. Love that. You mentioned the car accident a couple of times here. Uh, I mean, you don't have to get into the whole thing. I know it's been pretty well documented online, but you said like it even affected, you're saying like your tightness in terms of your physical um, doings, I guess, as an athlete, even many years later, because this was going back to you were what, age 16? 16. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. okay. Yeah, it was a fatality car accident, you know, seat belt, this and that, hit on the side. And, you know, like my pelvis kind of went this way. My shoulders went that way, which is obviously not ideal, but you can work your way back. But then obviously being so young, I hit a growth spurt that just locked it in. And going through this and going through that, the worst thing I possibly have done was picked a rotational sport, you know, <laughs> rotational over my head and then a rotation this way. And then even running, you're always running the same direction on the bases. So uh, there was a lot of off the field stuff I had to do. Um, but the one thing that, you know, I, I really hang my hat on, especially with my background, that was probably, you know, a 0.001% was from 2001 when I got drafted in 2016 that I took my cleats off. I never went on the DL and never missed a game for a physical reason and never came out of a game for a physical reason. Wait, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, that is, yeah. you know, when you really think about it, uh, I mean, he's a long career and he played hard. He would run into whatever, you know, whomever. Because <laughs> there was a couple of crashes at home, I remember. Johnny, uh, uh, you know, I know the World Series, you know, had to be super special. Where was your, your favorite stop? I mean, teammate-wise and, and just feel-wise. So I was always uh, a special place, you know, for me is it's not the glorious whatever, but, you know, was the Oakland A's, right? Because I grew up going to the Oakland A's, the Coliseum. I grew up, you know, 89, you got the Bash brothers and they win, you know, the World Series there. You got Ricky Henderson going head first. You got Conseco, McGuire, Connie Lansford, Mike Gallego, you know, you got Dave Stewart, Dave Henderson, um, they really groomed how I played, right? Like sliding was head first because Ricky Henderson did it. When you got to the plate, it was Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. Uh, it was Carney Lance for getting ready with his pre-pitch. There was so much there. And anytime I bumped into those guys, I always thanked them for how they played because it groomed how I played. Um, so going home to the Coliseum, but, um, you know, also being, you know, a history buff in baseball, going to Fenway, going to old New York, going to Wrigley, were pretty special too. How much do you miss the game? I mean, I guess that again, that'll take us into some of what you're doing now because you're still in sick shape. You can still bash the baseball. So why the hell not? Even if yeah. it's not in the major leagues. 
Yeah. So, you know, you, you get that question asked often, you know, when you're done playing. Um, but what I miss the most to tell you the truth is it only happens at the highest level of the major league baseball is like the chess match, right? Something sure. that happens June 1st that doesn't get exposed till July 1st, right? You go in for a three, four game set and this happens at him. You see a tip on the pitcher. You see someone struggling at the plate. You see a new pitch from a guy and you have to wait, you know, that amount of time until that team comes back or you go there to expose it. And that's basically what you see in the postseason the whole time now, right? Like all of a sudden now a, you're going to see something that happens in the postseason that didn't happen all year. And that comes from the data that comes from the studying and that comes from exposing weaknesses. Now everyone's going to have a weakness. So did the player fix his weakness before he got to the playoffs? Uh, you know, one of my favorite ones ever was ending game four uh, in the world series in 2013 when Koji picked off Colton Wong. Well, why wouldn't Colton Wong be going right there? Why would he not have a big lead right there? Because Koji Uehara never picked to first all year. That was his first pick. And <laughs> wow, what a moment right there. And I mean, Colton Wong, you know, looking around like this dude never picks. He never picks. Well, we knew that. And we were waiting for the time. And boom, his first pick ended a World Series game. That's incredible. That is the ultimate setup, though. Yeah, it is. I <laughs> you mean, put your whole season's worth of data into something and then say, screw it, I'm changing it. Well, yeah, listen, well I saw the Braves, too. I think it was game 162 or 161. They laid down their first sack bunt of the whole season. Well, now guess what? You have to honor that, even though it's right. a one, but it's not a zero. And that's what I love about the postseason. Yeah, well, not, yeah, I mean, and and the game does change in the postseason, and rightfully so. I and the teams I think that end up winning are the ones that change with it because of the fact that yeah, I, the data you know analytics is important, but it, 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 talk to me a little bit about that. There are some teams that will not change, and yeah. you get a situation. Let's say hypothetically, you're in the 14th inning, your offense has been abysmal, and you lead off with a single. The next guy up is hitting sub 200, and you got an RBI guy on deck, and you don't bunt the guy over because you're staying true to what your analytics say now that you're in data how do you like um you know wrap yourself around that yeah that's it there's the front office there's data there's the manager the coaches and then there's the players right now first all 30 major league teams have the same data right you talk about some of these pitchers that go to tampa that go to houston and they turn some things around houston and tampa they don't have different data Every organization has the same data, but it's how you read the data and then how you get it to the players is totally different. And can you get it to them in a way of the language that they're speaking for them to buy into it? Right. It's like, hey, you know, one of my favorite, you know, data moves ever is Max Muncie. You know, so you talk about some of these guys that have like big swing changes, the Justin Turner's, the JD's, the Chris Taylor's, where they change their swing. Max Muncy had the same exact swing when he was hanging out in Sacramento for the Oakland Athletics that he did in the home run derby wearing a Dodgers uniform. But swing at this, taking this, change your approach, and proof will be in the pudding. And, you know, I think data is right now, today, everybody on the field is going to have a piece of paper in their back pocket. Let me ask you, let me follow up with this, though, because I like your, 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 your analogy. Um, if that's, you know, can, you know, potentially, and, and Scotty, you know, chime in too after you, potentially, if, is it data also when 
the the you know reoccurring failure of certain regular what is called analytical data is not working for an extended period of time. Isn't that a form of data to say, okay, so we have to change our ways? Because I'm with certain things, I'm not seeing that happen. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, exactly what you're saying. So believe it or not, has you know forefront as data's been. Um, we're not to a point yet to blame data. <laughs> you know, and I think that's gonna be coming next. You know, you never seen in a post-game interview, you know, our, our data said this, that's why we went to the move, or our data said this, that's why I swung at that pitch. We're not quite sure, you know, how to blame our failure on data yet because it's a human element of a game. You know, it's not numbers, you know, driven. We're not computers and all that stuff. But um, yeah, like I said, you know, there's the data and it's how you break down the data and then how you get it to the player, right? It's really hard to tell a dude, hey man, your slider sucks when he thinks that's his best <laughs> pitch. And no, no, that's my best pitch. Or it's really hard to tell a kid that they suck at the fastball down and in when they think that's their hot zone because one out of 75, they hit that ball 450 feet. So it sticks in their head the most that that's my hot zone. And, you know, to, sh you know, now these, you know, the players, they're very visual. So you better have some numbers behind, you know, what you're trying to coach these kids on. You will hear managers. It's just a recent thing. And usually coming from maybe a newer manager in the game, you will hear them occasionally post game say, Hey, in that spot, I went with so-and-so he's the 60% ground ball guy. We needed one there. It just didn't happen or it was a ground ball, but it went through the left side. So, oh, well, but that was like the, because basically you're play, playing a, a massive probability game as a manager. That's the manager's job in terms of the in-game tactics, right? Johnny, they're just saying, okay, here's the data I'm given. Sure. I'm going to go with some feel and the conversations I'm having. How's the arm today, the whole deal. But at the end of the day, that is how they're trying to look at matchups of a pitcher versus a hitter. We're getting really deep right in terms of hey how does your pitch spin and velocity etc and where it's ending up most of the time and the usage end up correlating with that hitter swing and tendencies yeah that's exactly it you know and i try and compare it to like the game of blackjack right i mean we have data on blackjack because the game has been played for years we have data on baseball because we played it for years but with that being said there should never be a no hitter Right. Because you should never be in the game for the fourth time around or even the third time around because data says you shouldn't. But mm -hmm. at the same time, every once in a while, you get to step out and check the heartbeat of the player. Right. I mean, you look at some of these guys that have thrown no hitters in the day and you just scratch your head and you're like, wow, that should have never happened. But it does in baseball because humans are playing baseball. Even in blackjack or some other, you know, casino game, sometimes just like when you're hot, you're hot. And even though the probability is not playing your way, I mean, th there is a ton of luck also involved right in, yes. in addition to the skill of course you got to be amazing to get there but then you're dealing with the best in the world so okay so with the last chunk of time here i want to make sure that we list this out like look, tell the world what you're doing right now because they're probably seeing you pop up in some way worldwide whether it's it's playing in that derby x but also some business affairs as well yeah so i mean there's the savannah bananas which is man i mean they're absolutely nailing it right now going overseas for the home run derby x that's expanding the game of baseball getting new viewership but yeah my day-to-day -day is with a company called yacker tech and it's the data world it's you know ball tracking data um 
you know, and that's where things are going right now. And COVID really sped it up with these scouts not being able to go here and go there. So being able to help the youth with like ball tracking data. And what that is, is all the information that you see like on StatCast and, you know, with that Amazon and all this stuff is what's happening to the ball when it's in play. And that is what's changing players and getting players found, right? So you got a kid who's in a junior college in Fresno and he has a four and a half ERA, but his spin rate, you know, is upwards of 3000, right? And everyone knows he's got a really good fastball. So they're sitting on the fastball, but that's an elite fastball. And that's a spin rate fastball and it's not a miles per hour. So that being said, capturing data at the amateur level is changing everything and you know getting ready to go global and finding new players and getting players an opportunity i'd say if i was in college right now and i was going to pick a university or if i was in a university going to play summer ball the first question i would ask is 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 there data there do you have a ball tracking device because when i was playing you look behind home plate and there's 40 to 50 scouts sitting behind home plate with a radar gun those days are gone it's all about mm-hmm. ball tracking data and then getting that data to major league ball clubs to then give a kid an opportunity and that's an opportunity getting drafted an opportunity to get seen but at the same time taking this data for player development like i said hey bro your slider sucks we're not going to throw it anymore or hey when you hit the ball to the right side early in the count you're slugging 100 we don't want to slug 100 so can we take your sights and move it over this way because look you'll be a great player so uh doing that working for yakko tech and baseball cloud has been pretty awesome so you so basically you you, you could be finding, talk about diamonds in the rough. You could yep. be finding a guy that's, that hit 287 as a senior in high school compared to his player, you know, that was the all-star, you know, all city who hit 390. And, and, uh, but his, you know, ball and play was probably a lot better or possibly a lot better. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So you look at a guy, I mean, when you break down the simple stats, right? You look at a guy that has a lot of strikeouts. He's got too many strikeouts. But if we can break it down and see what pitch his strikeout is on, and then if we just eliminate that pitch, that swing, now his strikeouts can go down 40, 30%. And now he's sitting right in the middle. So I like this guy, even though he's hitting 280 with, you know, 40 more strikeouts than walks. Um, and at the same time, you have the other guy. This guy's walks are way higher than his strikeouts, but he's doing no damage. So can we get his launch angle up a little bit or can we, you know, move his hot streak from the opposite side to our power side, you know, on the, on the pull side. Um, It's really cool dissecting these numbers and it's really cool getting our machine Yakker tech to as many fields as we can to give these kids the opportunity. See, and I was going to say, you know, uh, Scotty real quick, it's just a comment. It's not a question, but that that's the part of analytics that, that, I jump on. I mean, I appreciate that. It's kind of the game in-game strategy that drives me nuts, I think. You know, again, the aforementioned, why aren't you bunting when you haven't had any offense for 14 innings? You know, and maybe no offense for several days uh, with a light hitter and a, and a guy that's, you know, that's an RBI on deck. And you just stay, tr- you know, to your analytics, uh, almost to your death, which has happened. But, uh, but that, the finding out some particulars, I think that's huge because even back in the day of the eighties, when I came up high school, I knew that there were certain players that were better than they were showing even in high school. Or when I went on to junior college and I'm like that, this guy's getting overlooked because he's, he's, he's sneaky good. And some guys that, you know, didn't even get drafted. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the simple way is if you're not a data guy or not this, I mean, if you go back to early two thousands and before absolutely how foreign a righty righty changeup was. No one did that. 
A righty righty <laughs> changeup was like frowned upon. And even if you had a good changeup as a righty, you were taught to not throw it to righties. Now that's probably the best pitch is a righty righty changeup. And I remember facing righties. I think one of the first persons to really jump and make this thing go was James Shields. Right. Mm-hmm. The thing about James Shields, dudes were losing their bat, extending. They're like, what was that changeup? Why is he throwing a changeup? I'm a righty. Guess what? <laughs> we got action now. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And also, th- what you're talking about and what you're doing aligns with your story. Because uh, going back to the beginning of this conversation, if the Rays don't do what they do and they've done things differently basically since the franchise started, you know, if they didn't exist, maybe you don't get that phone call that leads you to where you are now. So this puts everyone in a better position to find people like you that are oozing with potential, but not necessarily getting the attention they deserve much in the same way that if we want to generalize it for the public, I mean, it's hard for certain colleges to evaluate who deserves to be accepted. Right. But we're looking at, I don't even know where that's at with the generalized test scores and all that kind of crap, but I'm saying like, how the hell do you tell millions and millions of people apart to know who's the best fit for your school? Luckily baseball, you can kind of shrink it down to certain metrics you're looking at, but point is you need to be able to find whatever you want to call it diamonds in the rough aside from just the, you know 20 years ago saying this one scout ended up randomly getting lost in <laughs> Iowa and he pulls up to the high school and he finds this guy who's socking the baseball Stitch, and Stitch. never heard of him you know <laughs> so I think there's two that I think there's that side of it and I think if you do the four major sports in the states you know with hockey basketball football baseball we're the only sport that you can argue there can be a rookie of the year that's 30 years old there can be a, a all-star that makes it to the big leagues at 31 years old why does that happen i mean that's never going to happen in basketball it's never going to there's never going to be a quarterback who starts his first game at 31 years old in baseball you see it every single year and somehow some way something stood out there's a swing change you know jose batista heard of that guy you know, that yeah. guy's sitting in AAA with nine to 12 homers every single year. He gets a leg kick and now he's hitting 50 in multiple years. And he's knowing where his power is and he's knowing how to use his power. Um, you'll never see that in any of the other major sports. So that that's data. Brother, you've yeah. been phenomenal. I, w- I want to get to um, our uh, infamous uh, No Way Jose question because, you know, all your travels and, and, and the type of player you were, you must have seen some kooky things happen. So uh, sure. hit us up with one that, that, that stands out in your, in your lore of baseball. Um, no way, Jose, I think would have to start with let's go to the Red Sox. There was a lot of action there. <laughs> and still, still is. remember yeah. when David Ortiz got ejected and took his baseball bat to the bullpen phone. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course. Yes. No way, Jose, Dustin Pedroia is the guy that gets in front of that matchup. And I remember looking down being like, wow, this uh, this is not an even match right here. And Dustin <laughs> Pedroia holding back David Ortiz to not go out there after smashing that uh, bullpen phone was a no way, Jose, of how Dustin could hold him back. And he did. And that was so, uh, so he hit the he broke the phone. I remember that. And then Dustin got in his way because he wanted to go back out on the field. To- oh, yeah. Yeah, Dustin, I mean, geez, it's a wrong weight class. But, uh, (laughs) you know, you talk about two stepbrothers right there that went through it all, and those two guys are going to be in the Hall of Fame. One's already there. But, um, 
twins. Yeah, that, I guess you, I guess you could call them almost like twins. Like, uh, yeah, but how does one hold? How does one at that size hold? And I know Dustin's strong. There's no doubt about it. But it's more of just a sizing issue. How does one hold him back? Yeah, that data says no on that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he did it absolutely. <laughs> Well, that's that the was feel that was a challenge too. He yeah. might have looked down and said, "It's Dustin, and he's probably making sense. He's you know going to calm me down, and yeah. and I, I should listen to him." So that's I will a, say this, especially I, nowadays. I with, no, I did not know that, but I will say this, Johnny. It makes me think of especially nowadays. Sometimes when there's you know a quote scuffle or something on the field that doesn't actually turn into much. I've seen even this past season for sure in 2022 multiple times. Where somebody's kind of huffing and puffing, but also kind of looking for somebody to hold them back. <laughs> you know, there's like the mix of like, yep. I'm I'm pissed, but I'm not like gonna punch someone in the face right now because I still want right. to play and I don't want to lose the money in the games and all that. Yeah, I've, I, I've been in some scuffles and you've seen some grown men turn into chihuahuas real quick. When, uh-huh. <laughs> and you open the gate and then they kind of go back. They go like, really wait a second. Yeah. That was well, really it's like the gate. <laughs> it's dancing in a boxing match early on where it's like wait you guys gonna actually do anything or are you yeah. just gonna hop around Talk about the, rode- the rodeo bulls right and they're behind that cage and they're getting all stuff and you open it and they don't come out right but <laughs> the people will be like who opened the gate and then johnny yeah. the gate i was right good right 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 here. <laughs> i opened the gate <laughs> amazing well johnny keep it all up love yep. following what you're doing you're doing a lot and uh, great, always great one of the best stuff. interviews out there too appreciate you all right guys be good have a good one Oh, so there's a story and I, I didn't finish it because then we had to do our interview and I was, I was just reading while we're waiting to talk to Johnny Gomes and it was called the five lives of Johnny Gomes, it's like a right? illustrated story, something like that. And it's so true when you talk to him because there were so many instances and there's so much happenstance. And if this happens, if that happens, if that happens, which you could technically make that case for anybody that's on the planet right now there's a lot that had to go your way for you to be where you are but for johnny to have the career that he had it's crazy how many twists and turns it took for him compared to most i 100 man and i I appreciate him i thought he was great um uh his kind of insight his like transparency and also his humility you know uh, and, and also the fact that, that he doesn't take things for granted, but listen, uh, this was special, you know, for him to get to where he got, first of all, uh, certain things had to align properly because there was some roadblocks, if you will, obviously, you know, uh, uh, going dating back to the accident that he alluded to that, you know, that, that unfortunately took the life of one of, one of his best friends. Uh, almost going into the military instead of baseball, having the greatest, you know, one day tryout uh, of his life. And then uh, having a, a heart attack at 21 years old, being in great shape. Um, and he gets there and then he makes the best of it and all the things that happen. So I appreciate a guy like Johnny Gomes because this wasn't, you know, your typical, you know, all American and everything went perfect and you're a number one pick and, you know, and straight to the big league. So um, this was a real fight. And loved his comment that that's why he played with like his hair on fire every game, every pitch, you know, every inning. So let me take you from that wild story 
to another one, bringing back a little, where are they now? Someone that would be cool to talk to. So the name is Kurt Ainsworth and he pitched for the giants and the Orioles just in, in and out. Oh, one to Oh four, you know, wasn't a big name player by any means, much bigger name for what he has done since then. I mean, he was right. a pretty big talent, you know, big player oh, yeah. at LSU first round right. pick 24th overall by the Giants. He was on the U.S. national baseball team at the 2000 Sydney Summer Olympics. So he played with the, a bunch of future big leaguers. I think that was like the Ben Sheets team where he was dominant, yeah, I think. Sure um, so, okay, fast forward. He's 2004, end of the career for him, baseball-wise, rehabbing from an elbow injury. LSU head athletic trainer, the name's Jack Marucci. Keep that name okay. in mind. Yeah. And, and another former Blue Jays player, also Joe Lawrence, they founded Marucci Bat Company. They're making bats for just a, a few major leaguers. And Ainsworth helped them purchase an Amish-run woodmill in Pennsylvania. And that really gave them like a pretty legit wood supply that they were able to capitalize off of. And eventually, um, that's how Marucci... Sports was born and in a pretty short time period they exploded as a yes. company with huge names using their bats like just go down the line big poppy Pujols, utley rizzo Giancarlo, harper many of them you know using marucci bats either full-time or at times and just became a massive company ultimately actually acquired by an investment company for 200 million dollars about and that ainsworth uh then after that became ceo of the company or was still CEO, even when it was sold um, to Marucci sports though. Uh, what a career, what a storyline for so basically like, the high, then you didn't work, pan out as much as you thought you would as a big leaguer, but Oh, you became just this dominant work uh, force <laughs> in uh, your career after your playing days related, of course, to baseball. Well, I was going to say, so basically Ainsworth made his millions in baseball, <laughs> but not he did. on not on the pitching mound. Nope. But uh, how about that? A pitcher makes his money via bats. Uh, quite a quite a uh, you know uh, ironic. But I knew of that because Marucci was uh, again with LSU, and and the head coach at LSU was my high school baseball coach back in the day in Miami Columbus High, uh, Paul Maneri, the great legendary you know uh -huh. LSU coach Paul Maneri. Yes. Uh, uh, Paul, Paulie's, uh, you know, one of my dearest friends. And, and, um, I remember when that was all kind of developing. And I think one of the reasons that it just took off dramatically, obviously it's timing. We, you and I have talked about this in the show, some of the guests that we've had, including Johnny Gomes, how things, you know, the butterfly effect of things, you know, kind of sink in, but also it was the timeliness that maple bats were really kind of taking off in that, you know, late 90s early 2000s and they developed one of the better maple bats in in the industry and uh the hardest bat and you know that 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 took off light bat hardwood and means a lot more thumping and let's finish with this week in baseball I got a minute november 5 1997 bud selig says this is phase one of realignment in the bigs milwaukee brewers go from the al to the nl quite a few years later actually i believe it was 2013 Finally, is when the Astros then move from the AL or from that the was, NL to the AL. That was so big. You had you had the misbalanced AL and NL in terms of how many teams were on each side. So, and there is still another phase that's not public, but I, that I and it's not from like inside sources. But eventually, we, you got to have sixteen and sixteen. It just makes oh all yeah, the it's, it's coming. Else, so oh, it's coming. You know that one of the things that baseball loves 
is expansion, not moving to the other cities like the NFL, jumping around and all over the place with so many different teams. But they do like expansion. So uh, baseball will be coming to a city near you uh, soon enough. As it should. More fan bases in big cities Amen. that are booming deserve it. So I'm a big fan of it. You know, uh, certain cities that can absolutely support it. hundred percent support it. Supporting yeah. other teams that they, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be popular in that city. So get ready. If we're going to have a fun off season here on legends lounge again, as always, let us know if there's someone where are they now for you? You're like, so-and-so is my favorite player. Where, where's he at? Right. Let us help you out. We'll throw an interview in there. We'll get, we'll call them up. That's what we can do here. See you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.